0: Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to Conversations from the Front Porch. I am Leslie Cordy, your host, and we are lucky to have with us this morning Chris Stark from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Division of Extension. Welcome, Chris.
1: Thank you very much, Leslie. Good morning to everybody. Good
0: morning. So I think we'll start with a brief introduction. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Well, so first of all, I've worked for the University of Wisconsin Extension for eight years now, and Extension's mission, so that I'm I'm not sure if your, uh, your listeners, your audience is familiar with Extension. So Extension's mission is to connect people with the university. So in Alabama, I know that's the University of Alabama. I shouldn't say that on an Auburn podcast, should I? But the, the University of Alabama, uh, that's the extension uh, in that state. But uh, here at the uh, the University of Wisconsin, it, it we call it the Wisconsin idea. And the purpose of this is to transfer knowledge of the university to the state. It's that simple. It's this started a century ago. Right. And so we have specialists in ag and 4-H, uh, in youth development, in family living, and then uh, community and economic development, which is what my area is. That's what I, I specialize in. Okay. Uh, I think the thing I love most about Extension in the eight years that I've been here is that it's a learning organization. In other words, you can make mistakes provided you learn from your mistakes. And that's okay. <laughs> so but prior to extension, most of my background was in the economic development profession. Uh, I was a local economic development director of a small city. I worked for the state of Maryland for a while as an economic development practitioner with uh, uh, biotech companies, uh, mostly uh, a, big, a big biotech area. there right outside of DC. Uh, and I was also for a few years, a uh, worked for a big company and was a site location consultant for big businesses helping them with their location decisions and to that end a significant or key part of that Mm -hmm. was always interviewing local businesses or major employers in a given community to evaluate the local workforce which helps us transition into our subject today.
0: Right excellent oh thank you for sharing that with us I I think uh, a lot of our listeners uh need to understand about extension and its connection to um, sort of lifelong learning, as you said, learning organizations and the workforce. So tell us then why you think there's such a crisis in the workforce, not really related to COVID. We can cover COVID if you'd like though too in terms of why there's so much attention. To
1: that subject right now yeah, th- uh, this workforce crisis that i'm talking about is a long term is going to be a decades-long uh uh challenge for us to meet so let me just address covid here just just for a second here and then i'll get All into right. the workforce we don't know a lot too much about that yet because it's so new the situation is changing so quickly with respect to the workforce we know so many people have been have been laid off and the challenges but one of the things that's, that's come out of this that we we do know that I want to point out is that I'm just going to give you an example here. Um, uh, 7%, based on research from the Pew Research Center, a, a nonpartisan good. think tank out of Washington, DC, Very good. we know that in 2019, 7% of the US private sector workers telecommuted in the United States, telecommuted to work. So 7.0% okay. from, that, from that study. Now, in European countries, it ranged much higher between 18, this is pre-COVID, now uh, uh, from uh, 18 to 23% in European countries. Okay. So I believe that a significant shift is underway and that we'll actually believe that in the United States will triple the number of telecommuters by 2025 in just five years to about 21%, somewhere right around there. We'll, we'll wow. be in that range and so consider that because the US labor force right now is at 164.6 million people okay. and 7% of that is 11.5 million. So in just five years that would be a, somewhere about 30 to 35 million people. A amount so that so the implications of that to broadband are significant, and according to that same research center, the Pew Research Center, there's been a 40 percent spike in broadband usage in March and April of this year over right. March and April of 2019, and it's because of the, well, the obviously the, the COVID pandemic Absolutely. forcing uh, uh, tele. Uh, you know people to telecommute right. so what's still up in the air is that people who have to be at the, at their jobs in-person restaurant workers and have the greatest challenges and right. their livelihood depends that's just one example but so much on whether their boss the business owner is able to adapt to covid right um, now the long range the the workforce the long range that i'm talking about is really a, a, a crisis that's evolving and will be very critical throughout the 2020s and into the 2030s. And I would really like the the listeners to realize, again, it's such a long-term critical issue for both businesses and workers in the United States. And by the way, not just the United States, but almost every country is going to be faced with this uh, crisis. So there, I guess to boil it down, I like to talk about two things and that's, and keep it nice and simple. And that's, a labor shortage right. plus a skill mismatch.
0: Correct. Okay.
1: And so what's going on, the latter related to technology, but let's talk about the labor shortage first. Sure. So this issue, the workforce challenge, I believe will be far and away the major economic development issue of the 2020s, I said that, and right. the huge contributor to this problem is a demographic shift that's going on and has been going on in the United States meaning this, the post-war baby boomers created a consistent and steady supply of laborers or workers for companies in the USA for years. Right. Uh, And that has now, it hasn't gone away completely, but it's going away. We no longer have that glut of workers Mm -hmm. uh, that can be relied upon. And I guess just as a simple example to demonstrate that demographic shift and its current implications of the workforce. One of my colleagues at the University of Wisconsin Extension, Matt Curez, graphically showed how the percentage of employees age 55 and older increased in the workforce in the last generation. He started off with showing in 1990 that employees 55 and over made up 11% or 11.2% of the total Wisconsin workforce. Okay. Okay, so that's 30, that's a generation ago, about 11%. But by 2018, the most recent year we have data for, the 55-plus age group was a full 24% 24 of the Wisconsin workforce and 27% of manufacturing. So what's important here is that one-fourth of the Wisconsin workforce is now 55 and older, probably now in 2020, even a little bit higher than that. It shows the aging of the workforce. And all of those employees are very close to retirement retirement age. Nice. So, And this phenomenon is commensurate with the nation as a whole, not just Wisconsin. Right. Uh, so besides the, that, that demographic shift, we also have to consider the labor force participation rate, which is okay. those people who are, are, it's defined as those who are working or actively seeking work all right so also but besides the demographic shift we also have a lower labor force participation rate okay and the labor force participation rate is defined as those who are either working now or actively seeking work all right so and why it's a lower labor force is, is we're still trying to figure that out but it seems to be from a combination of things one frankly is opioid abuse Uh, people that that are using opioids first of all a lot of people don't want to hire them you know that's understandable Um, and uh, I hear that it's gone up uh, under COVID to uh, the COVID challenges and the isolation of COVID but uh, secondly child care is a challenge uh, in rural areas and and mothers could be uh, you could have uh, uh, working mothers at a higher participation rate if child care uh, were more available in many areas of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and participation among high school students has dropped in the past generation. And, and then there are those who just seem to have given up at yeah. our, our hopelessness, if you will. Right. And
0: they're this is... They're not, even, they're not even trying to become employed, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah, right now. And it don't, you know, it's hard to say what what leads to that necessarily. But frankly, this is a situation where we need to get everybody to the table. This is kind of an all hands on deck or it, it certainly will be very shortly. We're hearing that call from the businesses right now. Okay. And so the second part of your of your question, go back to the original question, and yes. I'll, I'll repeat it here the, about the workforce crisis in the U.S. today. Right. Here, but the, the, uh, this, the second part is about a skill mismatch And by that, I mean, besides the demographic shift, we're talking about technology, so automation. So one example of that is in the automotive industry, for example, it's become very automated. So consider those, yeah. So consider those old assembly line jobs that you had in automotive production. Those, I know they're boring jobs where, if you will, where a person might be just installing bumpers on a car assembly line for their entire career in some cases. Boring, yes, but that boring job provided a very good wage for that person and their family.
0: And health care benefits.
1: And health care benefits, really important, and and pension and everything else. Today, though, that boring job has been replaced in a lot of cases by a robot. And in some cases, I've seen where uh, uh, I've read that in the automotive industry, uh, as much as uh, 40% of jobs have been replaced by robotic arms. And And we've
0: seen that here, uh, Chris, just so that you know, um, some of my students have been had the privilege of visiting the Kia plant right up the road. And uh, you can see how many of those they see in stark reality, how many of those jobs are really conducted by the robot. And, And the last only really the last part of the of the assembly is is done by a human being.
1: Okay, so it would be interesting to know how many people yeah. work at that facility, and then the square footage of it is, and, and all that. That would yeah. be would be interesting. But that trend that you mentioned uh, toward robotic arms and technology replacing workers is going to continue in other professions. It already is. Uh, just I would ask everybody to consider their local grocery store. By now, nearly all grocery stores nationwide have introduced self checkout. Uh, and that's in response to both a worker shortage, but they feel they also can save money.
0: I didn't uh, even think in of that.
1: Many instances. So that's, that's part of that. Wow. Uh, and I know there's been concern, certainly concern, about immigrants are going to take the jobs of American workers. But in reality, frankly, it's technology that is much more likely to, to take the jobs of American workers. So again, uh, emphasis, I'll repeat here, a labor shortage plus a skill mismatch.
0: Okay, so we've covered a lot of material and things like that, lots of different key points in there. So what do you think we can do for those workers to help them um, with this long-term crisis and help businesses, right?
1: And help help both, help the workers yeah. and help the, the businesses in this long-term effort here. So I guess I wanna first talk about uh, a shift in attitudes, a necessary shift in attitudes if you will. For for a long time, many business leaders in, in this country have considered their workers to be simply a cost, mm-hmm. a liability, if you will. I'll right. point out, I guess I'm going to point out the, the bad side a little bit here, but yeah. uh, uh, there was, uh, I'll point out one fellow I certainly learned about in business school, that, uh, but he became very famous and a big Wall Street hero during the 1980s and 1990s until they they finally realized, I think, that they, that uh, it was it was bad news. This individual just passed away last year.
0: Okay.
1: Um, but he went went a long way towards really disrespecting labor. He's known as Chainsaw Al in the okay. business community, and it's Al Dunlap. And mm-hmm. Al's life was you can you can certainly Google him and be easy to find. But Al's life was a about profit at any price. Ch- Chainsaw oh. Al was to put it very politely and this is, is quoting a, a, a journal that, known for shedding jobs at the companies he led as his way of bringing them back to economic health. That is that is a, a, a quote, from, um, but his method an almost sole method of turning a company around was to have mass layoffs. And so while he was laying off thousands of people over the years from various companies that he bounced around to, and I should say especially Scott paper, which i think was was eventually purchased by Kimberly Clark and then the Sunbeam company, which he ran into the ground. They okay. never recovered from uh having him as the uh they appointed him c e o and and uh they never recovered from that. they filed for bankruptcy in two thousand one but while he was laying off so many, he gained hundreds of millions of dollars uh okay. in salary from from these companies. Uh, until he was, he was finally found guilty of Massive Accounting fraud. But my, my point is that there's something wrong with that picture in the way that we were treating workers in mm-hmm. the past. And yeah. that needs to change, that we need to invest in our workers. And that's the shift in attitudes that I wanna emphasize here, the necessary okay. shift. When employees are actually, look, study after study, Leslie shows them, when employees are actually looked upon as an asset, in fact, really the single most important asset that the company has, whatever company it is, uh, that they're more productive in 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 such a positive environment. I mention that still because I hear a lot of people of my generation up here who are business owners, baby boomers like me, absolutely yes. criticizing the heck out of millennials these I days know. because they do not understand them and i would say the problem is a little bit more with the business owner than it is with the employer on that absolutely. one absolutely um, so most of these managers haven't figured that out yet so in a lot of cases <laughs> that that it's on them and this brings me to a a study that's being done that that, that i really refer to often it's it's the Boston Consulting Group—they call it decoding global talent. Okay. And they really created a survey for what do workers want. And so the the Boston Consulting Group has been conducting this massive survey project that they started in about 2014. And as of two years ago, they had 366,000 responses wow. from
0: Long people. That, yeah, Longitudinal study, huh?
1: It really is, and I t- imagine that 's more than a third of a million people that they 've gotten now in one hundred and ninety seven countries which to the to the best of my knowledge, I think the United Nations was a, somewhere around that number okay. um, of countries, but so they've they 've tried to get almost every country in the world, in other words, input from okay. it. There's a lot to go into on the study, but we'll focus on the 8,000 plus responses that they received from the United States, as I would suggest the most relevant to our to our Uh, podcast here today. Okay. Um, But the top 10 work preferences for Americans, and by the way, salary is ranked seventh on the list. It's not first. Uh, Salary is seventh on the list. But for the 8,000 plus uh, Americans, they, uh, the number one work preference is a good relationship with your superior. Uh, wow. Sounds like a very good thing, right? Makes right. sense. They also want a good work-life balance, good relationship with colleagues at work, and job security. The same thing that we the same thing that we all want. You know? Absolutely. Um, and by the way, number one worldwide is being appreciated for your work. So recognition
0: i can you understand will. that
1: and i think i think we all want uh want that um that's number one worldwide it's eighth in the usa but it's still very much in that top 10. okay and so what that i guess demonstrates to me some of that survey feedback is that these people just want to be appreciated there they want good people interaction and then they just want to be appreciated so going back to the question of what we can do to address the workforce issue my point is that this workforce crisis, this is about attracting and retaining talent. Yeah. Uh, most economic development professionals throughout the states and Canada already know well that their prime objective is no longer about attracting companies to their area. Rather, it's about recruiting workers and recruiting talent to, re- to your area. That's a shift from the past right there. So if we're gonna do that, successfully we need massive investment in people.
0: Shoot, that is that's a big statement, Chris.
1: We really do, massive yes, investment do. in people and this becomes about reskilling and upskilling mm-hmm. for the future and I keep reading over and over that employers want critical thinking skills yes. and I call these I guess sense making skills if you will, how to read data, etc. things yep. like that.
0: Problem solving?
1: problem solving is in there that absolutely is very important uh another thing is we could open the door to welcome immigrants i've heard a lot of business owners uh say that look we're gonna have to do it. we need to do that and uh we haven't exactly had the welcome mat out uh no. probably in in recent years but uh that's something we're gonna uh discussion that we have to have and i wanna i wanna talk about prison recidivism a little bit from those that are coming out of helping prisoners get jobs, and I have a colleague in uh, Amy Greil in Kenosha, in southeast Wisconsin, has certainly been been involved in in a couple of uh, uh, colleagues, uh, more than more than one, actually three colleagues at UW Extension who are very involved in uh, helping prisoners get jobs when they come out of uh, if they haven't done. And anything too extreme or whatever, That's right, helping right, them right. get get jobs when they come out of prison there. And fourth, the fourth thing would be addressing the opioid abuse, and we also and have to uh, deal with that issue. But in, in I, I guess, uh, I just want to point out a small group, a group from Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is called CSW, which means Corporation for a Skilled Workforce, released a study in 2019, kind of a how to of understanding your community labor market and workforce development system toolkit is what they call it.
0: Oh, I didn't, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, that can be found online and okay. it's addresses three things that they, they, they your region when you look at your region because okay. all regions are really different with respect yes. to the workforce situation depending on what the dynamics of your economy uh-huh. are
0: there. you
1: you want to look at work that that very much t- too uh you want to look at workforce supply okay who is and who is not working in my region what barriers to obtaining and sustaining employment their residents face uh workforce demand what jobs are available in my region and then the workforce development system itself is how is the workforce development system in my region helping people achieve, retain, and advance in employment?
0: Wow. Okay. So you, we've covered a lot, and and we've we, we're moving fast into um, a lot of different topics. But let let's talk a little bit about your specialization. It's more in rural areas is there anything that you'd like to highlight about that in terms of workforce issues and rural areas
1: well really all the same things uh that i've been describing are certainly applicable in rural areas too that's the the first thing to know but this again becomes about knowing your local statistics on what the main occupation is in your region. For example, I'll give a quick, uh, Vilas County, Wisconsin, where I live in, in Northern Wisconsin is, is very much a tourist area for particularly, it is in the winter time as well, but particularly in the summer months, we have an influx of tourists here. Right. And so our largest occupation in Vilas County, be- for that reason is in serving the the tourists especially, is the food service right. uh, uh, workers. Out of 23 occupations listed by the Department of Wisconsin, uh, uh, Wisconsin Department of Workforce Development, that occupation is is the lowest paid. They have the lowest wage of any of the occupations. So that presents a special challenge for Vilas County and how will we deal with that going forward and working with Mm -hmm. the the Economic Development Corporation Mm -hmm. uh, uh, on that issue. But look, in a rural region, the one thing really overall that can and will have a tremendous impact on rural areas is very simply reliable broadband. No, oh, it goes a long way. We actually don't have it right now. Don't have reliable oh, broadband. It's in imp- Alabama. Yeah, the same thing. And really in all states and rural areas. Yep. And this is about telehealth. You won't be going to the doctor in the future for routine checkups. You'll do it at home. You know, teleeducation so that kids should they choose to and parents not want to send their kids to school right now for the for the obvious reason. They can, they can, uh, they're, they're able to, uh, in some communities, they're able to learn their work, learn their studies over the internet, and right. in other communities, they're not able to do that because they Absolutely. don't have reliable broadband. But also, the ability to have remote workers in an area, remote workers, workers who may want to leave yeah. the city. Permanently, perhaps for reasons like COVID or other things, right. but um, uh, rural areas stand to gain from these people because they'll be working over the internet. But it depends on the ability to have good Absolutely. internet. So, and then of course you 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 want to you want to focus on entrepreneurship. They're very much in rural yeah. areas as a That's part of helping. the workforce
0: as well. Yeah, helping small business owners create new opportunities, right? So what does the university extension programs do in terms of some of these issues that we've talked about?
1: Well, it's what we what we do and certainly and what we can do, uh but I believe university extension programs potentially can play a very important role in helping with uh with the workforce issue. And let's let's start off with what I believe to be number 1 because this is about lifelong learning and the millennials of today the the young people of today uh are going to you may have to re-skill and reinvent yourself many times during the course of your life here and that's one thing that that we didn't necessarily have to do i know my dad was in
0: uh
1: uh, worked for uh, one company for 40 years
0: so did my dad 38. Okay,
1: yeah. all right. Very
0: good. So that yeah. was common so that in that. That doesn't happen anymore.
1: Yeah, I've, I've had to reinvent myself a few times, but, <laughs> but this younger, and, and Leslie, I think maybe you have to, but I have the, too. The, the, uh, uh, the, the younger crowd is going to have to do it even more so and, mm-hmm. and certainly put an emphasis on digital s- skills. But, uh, again, whether they want to or not, lifelong learning and extension programs, if they're geared up for it, can potentially help tremendously in, in, in that regard. Remember that we're about bringing the ideas of the university to the community. So first, I believe that we can help in the educational pipeline very much. Let's start with a 4-H and positive youth. Sure. You know, you're teaching leadership. Uh, from the beginning but by interacting with your peers you're learning they call them stem and steam meaning stem you know they already know the science uh, technology engineering and math and then right. with the if you call it steam with the uh, arts uh, right. um, but uh, robotics extension some teach robotics animal health human health uh the family living people can help with financial budgeting for people and I can go on but this is about teaching workers and focusing on them, which is is really what I want to do. And and we have to focus. We have to have input from the businesses too on that. But so number one is really about helping workers and in so doing helping the businesses that I just mentioned. And I'll reference for a minute, go back to that survey I did, uh, I mentioned by the Boston Consulting Group. Uh, People were asked to rank the top 10 most important skills that they believe they'll need going forward. And so I focused on what Americans can and Canadians identified as their number one and two. They're on the certainly very much on the same page. Americans and Canadians identified as their number one most skill needed. Communication. Okay. Nothing else, not digital, not communication. Secondly, leadership. Now consider that both of those are absolutely all about people interaction, interaction with, with, with others. So those two and extension programs are already certainly we at the University of Wisconsin extension are already set up with leadership programs wherever we are throughout the state and certainly improving communications skills among other things can be a part of those leadership uh, that leadership teaching uh, curriculum so extension should be involving the local community. We're already very much involved in local community, and but this is getting the local community to interface with workforce issues. Right. Community involvement. Uh, just a, a quick example. I had mentioned the child care issue, but what can what can a community do to encourage better child care in an area? Well, one of my colleagues at Extension, Tessa Conroy did a study on child care okay. and learned that due to its lack of availability in many areas, I mentioned this, but particularly in rural areas, a certain percentage of mothers, and I can't, I couldn't find, can't remember that right off the top of my head, but a lot of mothers aren't working, uh, and it could really contribute to the workforce locally, so, um, and secondly, yeah. We can work with local community colleges, we can work with economic development professionals, local business leaders, politicians, and, and we can have focus groups with business leaders to get input with them, you know, and what they need. And lastly and above all, with the workers in a community. What do they need, want, right. and what can we do to help them in a given area?
0: I right. would say. And I can see how that would be really important to talk to the 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 workers or the potential workers, right? In terms of connecting with community, as you said, Chris, right? And asking them what they need, right? Which will connect us back to what are the skills that are needed and the idea of lifelong learning. Lifelong. And, the,
1: and the idea of lifelong learning, getting right. that input from the business leaders in a community and getting that input from the workers as well.
0: So right, yes, right. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today, Chris. Uh, we want to thank you for sharing um, many ideas with us in terms of, as we said, lifelong learning and, and focusing on workforce. And I'm sure we're, we'll be able to have another conversation about um, this in the coming months, right, as, as maybe things become more prioritized, right?
1: I certainly hope so. And I want to thank you very much for having me on this, oh. on this podcast. So All thank right.
0: you. Well, thank you, and have a great day.
1: Thank you, Leslie.
0: Be safe.